ourselves this morning a shout from our heart. Lord Jesus, we thank you today as we've sung. Your love truly is so marvelous. It's so marvelous. Nothing can separate us from your love. It doesn't matter where we are today, whether we know you by experience or whether we're here today and we don't really know you at all. Your love is around us. It's following us all the way through the journey that we're on in this, in this life. And your love, when everybody's left us, is there. Your love, when everybody's gone, remains. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you. You are not a man that you should lie. Your ways are so higher than our ways. Your thoughts are far beyond our thoughts. And whilst our love is a very broken love, a very temporal love, it's a love that gives to receive and get back. But your love doesn't ask for anything in return. It just keeps pouring itself on us. Whether we're having a good day, a bad day, an ugly day, a sinful day, a day where we feel really bad, your love keeps coming and washing and helping and bringing us back to a place where we feel all accepted in you. Lord, because you never reject us. And we want to say thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give him thanks this morning. Woohoo! You may be seated. You know, oh man, I was just thinking as we were singing there then, something that I, I had mentioned, I've mentioned a few months ago, but again, it just caught me afresh. It really, really did this morning. Just through the songs really that we were singing and, and just some of the things that we were saying as the service went through this morning, I was just thinking, do you know, like when you're a bad boy or a bad girl, and you've done something that your parents don't want you to do. You've disobeyed. And you know you've done wrong and they, you, they know that you've done wrong. There's always a consequence that you have to face as a result of your wrongdoing. So usually it goes like this. You're a bad boy. Mummy says, eat all your food. And you don't eat your food. You hide some under the table. And she finds out about it because it's rotting and smelling the next day. And she says, Dave, you didn't eat your food yesterday, even though you told me you did. Naughty boy, go to the bedroom. It's time out, Dave. We're going to isolate you because of your behavior. Or it may be something else. You know, your dad's told you not to do something because it's not right. And you go ahead and do it because... You know, there's something inside us when, when if you come up to me and you tell me not to sit on that front seat, everything within me is going to want to sit on that front seat. It really is. It really is. It's like the little boy in school and the teacher said to him, Johnny, don't do that. And suddenly inside Johnny was awoken a desire to do everything that the teacher told him not to do. And he went ahead and did it. It's human nature. Mummy and daddy comes to you and they tell you not to do what 
they don't think you should do and you go ahead and do it and you get sent to the bedroom because that's what happens when a child disobeys their parents or you go into school this happened to me often you go in the classroom teacher tells you to behave Dave listen to what I'm saying don't be disruptive in the class they're trying to learn I'm trying to teach behave Dave but Dave thought class was boring Dave wanted to play in class Dave wanted to have fun with his friends Dave wanted to throw things at the teacher when the teacher's back was turned on the class when she was writing on the board but that's not acceptable it's not acceptable so what happened Dave gets disciplined Dave gets sent to the headmaster's office and in my day not like today the the the, the headmaster would put pull out his nice bamboo cane and say bend over son and he'd have a smile on his face and I'd have a very very fearful expression on my face looking behind and he would slowly warm his cane up against my backside and there would be a little lapel and I would be hoping that he wouldn't flip the lapel up above my little cheeks because I was looking for at least a little bit of protection even that little bit of material that was hanging over my bum would offer me a little bit of protection but in Northern Ireland anyway this is what they used to do he'd warm the cane up and just flip the lapel of the blazer up over my backside and my my trousers would be extra tight and he would pull it right behind his head and give me the best five of the best Ooh, I've still got the scars they're weathering well hallelujah Ooh. or change the scene you get a bit older you go into work you don't perform very well and you get called into the boss's office and they say to you do you know what this is your fourth warning and this actually is your final warning and they kick you out there's a consequence there's an action for the choices that we make in life life is hard now the only trouble with all of that is that when people started to tell me about the fact that God loved me I knew that I had a heap load of sin in my life oh I had a huge history a massive history of sinfulness so I thought that God was going to be like the angry parent with the child that keeps disobeying I thought that God was going to be like the teacher that sends me to the headmaster's office that tells me to bend over touch my toes and flips the blazer up and gives me six of the best I thought God was going to be like the un- like the, the employer that calls you into his office and pulls out your records from the filing cabinet and say you failed here you failed there you're not performing you're not doing what I expect you to do get out I got the biggest surprise of my life I really did you see I thought that God was angry at me I felt condemned about all of the history that I was bringing to him I felt I felt awful and ashamed about some of the things that I had been involved in through the 15 years of my life to the point where I accepted Christ and somebody one day said to me they said Dave you talk a lot about the sin that you've committed in the past you must have been a big sinner I said to him I was a huge sinner 
I was so big a sinner, the Bible writes about me in Ephesians 2 and tells me that I was dead and stinking in my sin. But I expected God to be so angry with that. I expected God to pull me up on all of the things that I had done. However, like Paul said to the Corinthian church, and they must have been amazed when they heard it, he said this, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. It simply means this. We've got a huge history between us all of of sinfulness and shamefulness and all kinds of wrongdoing. But I tell you something now, the amazing thing about grace, the amazing thing about God's love, the amazing thing about Jesus coming and dying for us and rising from the dead is this, that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. And with all all of that sin that's stacked against us in front of him, he just simply wipes away and gives us a brand new beginning. You're not facing an angry God today. You're not facing a God that wants to judge you. He's already judged his son, Jesus, on your behalf so that you can walk into his presence and have a conversation with him and say, do you know know what? Can you help me in my life? I'm struggling to get by. I look at everybody else. It could be this. I look at everybody else and they've got a happy family. I haven't got a family at all. I look at everybody else around me and and they seem so fulfilled in relationships, whether, you know, they've got a good marriage or, you know, they've got lots of friends around them. But you know what? I go home every night and I'm all alone. Could you help me? I tell you something now. If you will pray a prayer like that, if that cry comes out of your heart to God in heaven, I tell you something now. He may not turn up in your bedroom with angels and claps of thunder and lightning, but he will hear you and he will help you and he will make a way for you. If he can make a way in a wilderness for two million people and feed them and clothe them for 40 years, he can do it for you, my friend. He can do it for you. Are you looking for a husband? Are you looking for a wife? He'll get you one. He's got a whole catalog of them. Good ones. The best ones. The ones that are going to bring you blessing and help. And are going to be good to you. Woo! Come on, Jesus. He's fantastic. He's awesome. He is wonderful. He really is. Do you know, last week I just started... uh, a little thought going about a time when the Holy Spirit came to me in my kitchen. And I just was just having a talk, I suppose. Just, you know, like you do, you talk to yourself. And um, I was just sort of talking to God one day. And I said, Lord, I love serving you. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, the Holy Spirit interrupted me and said, Dave, you're not serving me. And suddenly, I interrupted the Holy Spirit quite firmly. And I said, Holy Spirit, what do you mean I'm not serving you? And I began to list a big, long list of all of the works that I thought I was doing well. It didn't amount to much. No, it didn't amount. I mean, imagine standing in the face of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of wonders, the creator the supreme being. Imagine standing toe-to-toe with him and saying, these are the works of my hands. What's the work? What can you bring to the table? What's the work of your hand? That's arrogance, insolence, pride. 
But I stood toe-to-toe with God. I was so dumb, I didn't realize what I was doing. And I said, I've done this, I've done that, I'm doing this. And then I suddenly came to the end of my list and waited quietly and the Holy Spirit came again. And he said, Dave, I didn't mean to insult you, son. Didn't mean to criticize you. Didn't mean to pull you up about anything. I just wanted to say this. If you'd have allowed me to finish my sentence, if you hadn't have interrupted me, all I wanted to say was this. Dave, you're not serving me. I'm serving you. I'm serving you. Oh, come on, church. I tell you something now. We've got to get a change in our mind when it comes to this. Because for too long, the church has been working. The church has been doing. When Jesus is shouting from heaven, it's all done. It's all done. I have done the work. I have finished it all on the cross. It's all completed. Just rest. Rest and revel in all of the blessedness that I've achieved on your behalf. I'm telling you now, religious people will fight you over this. They will say, well, you've got to have this ritual. You've got to have this regime in place. And all it leads to is effort, work, burden, and you'll become, like Jesus said, heavy laden. A Christian should be the happiest person on the planet. Why? Because they're rested. You know, remember we looked in Hebrews chapter 4 where it talks about a promise remaining for us to obtain, to enter into God's rest. God wants you to enter into his rest. We're talking about a supernatural life inside where there is peace inside, where there is, where there is strength mentally, where there is wholeness of being. Why? Because Jesus has provided it for us. He says, enter, enter the rest that I've provided for you. It doesn't anywhere in the Bible say that there's an exit from that rest. Once you enter it, you're in it. You never have to leave it. You have a peace that passes understanding. God in your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. When you enter that rest, you never have to be anxious about anything anymore. You don't have to worry. Jesus said, don't worry about anything. My father who is in heaven, knows your need. You see, Jesus lived this rested life. Jesus exampled this rested life in the most brilliant of ways. He, you know, faced life every day and circumstances came at him. Troubles came at him. People came to him. The pressure that was on Jesus, and yet that pressure never broke him. That pressure never got him down on his knees panicking. Oh my God, what am I going to do? No, the rested spirit, the rested life was manifest to all. And he always, always used life for the glory of the Father. He really did. There's a rest for you, my friends. God wants us, all of us, to enjoy it. God wants all of us to know it. It is a real experience. And if you feel that your life is up and down, in and out, and you, you know you're going high and you're going low, Yeah, it's like that for all of us. Circumstances happen. But inside, there's a place where we can be still and know that He is God. We can really be still. Life might not be still around you. Life may be full of troubles around you. But like David said, or like God said to David, I am an ever-present help in times of trouble. 
Oh, if you haven't got any problems, if you haven't got any troubles, get down on your knees and ask God, why isn't he trusting you with some good old-fashioned problems? Get down on your knees and ask God, why, God, why are you trusting everybody else with trouble and not me? Why are you trusting everybody else with trouble and problems and not me, God? I want some trouble. I want some problems so that I can be still and know that you are God and see all of the troubles and the problems work for your glory. Come on, church. Oh, come on. Nothing can take you out of the rest that Jesus has provided for you in what he has done, in what he has achieved. Do you know, I remember an occasion in my life, and maybe, you know, lots of us around this room would be able to think about occasions, such occasions that that you've had too. I remember sitting on the edge of my bed. I was in my 20s. And over and over and over again, I began to say, God, I hate my life. I hate my life. I hate everything about it. And I really meant it. It was one of those special prayers that you put energy into. It was one of those prayers that you put in everything that you have inside into. And then I just came to the end of that and I started to feel really bad about what I'd said because I realized that God had given me life. I realized that God had provided this life for me but I hated it so much. I hated my experience of life and I started to feel bad. I started to feel guilty I started to feel that I'd said things that were wrong in the quietness of my room when I was all alone. And then my Bible was beside me because I was a Christian. I picked up my Bible and I looked at it. And I said, oh God, I need you to speak to me from this right now. I've said I hate my life. I've said something that I think I shouldn't have said. And I mean it with all of my heart. Please, would you speak to me? Do you know what? God will come into your darkest hour. God will come. He'll just walk along. See, his love will reach us. We can never be separated from that love. And he'll come and he'll he'll sit by you. And he won't point his finger. He won't slap you up the side of the head saying, you should never have said that. Held my Bible up. I said, please, God, speak to me. And I made a decision. I thought, you know what? I'm just going gonna, gonna, I'm gonna to go for pot luck here. I'm going to do a bit of lucky dip with the Bible. Ever done lucky dip with the Bible? You've got to be careful. <laughs> you have. But I was desperate, man. I needed to do a bit of lucky dip with the Bible. Because I I had said, I hate my life. And I didn't know if the Bible had anything to say to a man or a young man that said he hates his life. I didn't realize that the Bible had anything to say to to a young man that was in a dark situation that didn't know what to do. So I had to play a bit of lucky dip with the Bible. So I decided in my mind, I said, God, I'm just going to open it. And I'm just going to read. And hopefully you're going to give me a word. Do you know what? God don't mind a bit of lucky dip with the Bible. He'll use it. He will speak to you. Even if you haven't got the faith 
or the know-how to use the Bible. He'll let you play a bit of lucky dip, pot luck with the Bible. Come on, he's awesome. He's fantastic. I opened the Bible and my eyes. Now, work this out. This is awesome. This is mind-boggling. When I couldn't serve God, I couldn't serve God. He came humbly, gently, quietly to serve me. 20-year-old kid that didn't have a clue that was saying that he hated his life. He came to serve me that night. Lucky dip with the Bible. I open the scriptures and my eyes fall on John chapter 12, verse 25. Jesus speaking. He says, whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You can come with any negative statement that you want to God. He'll always give you a positive answer. Oh, he's awesome. He's wonderful. Come with all of the hurt. Come with all of the pain. Come with your baggage. In fact, the Bible says, cast it all. Cast it all on Jesus. Jesus is there. He says, I'll take every burden that you've got. I'll take every trouble that you're in. Every shameful thing that you think is condemning you and keeping you away from me. Throw it on me. Throw it on me. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. What other person have you met that has ever said to you, Whatever trouble you go through, come to me. Come knock in my door. doesn't matter what time of day it is. Come knocking. Give me a call on the mobile. Let me tell you. You ring them at 2 o'clock in the morning. Do you know what will happen? You'll get voicemail. You'll get voicemail. They will be fast asleep. But we serve one who doesn't slumber. We serve one who does not sleep. We serve one who is available 24-7. And he's saying, church... I am here to serve you in whatever way you need me to serve you. I will serve you. Do you need rest today? He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Are you, are you bound and burdened today? He says, cast it on me. I want to serve you. Give me that, that trouble and that burden that's weighing you down. Are you worried today? He says, fear not. Fear not. That's what he says. Trust him. Take his word seriously. Say, yes, Lord. I believe that you have a future for me. Maybe today the future looks bleak for you. You think, my God, I don't know what's out there or what's going to do. My life is just sort of unfolding. And it's case, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. No, it's not, friends. No, it's not. God has a wonderful plan for you. And that plan is unfolding every minute of the day. And God's got great things for you. Things are going to bless you. Things are going to blow your mind. He's going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. And you may have prayed some big prayers. But I'm telling you now, you've seen nothing yet, my friends. And you may look back on your past and say, yeah, I've made a mess of it. And I shouldn't have said that. And I shouldn't have said this. And you may attribute some of the things that you're going through today and some of the places where you've been to some wrong decisions. Guess what? We've all made wrong decisions. Come on, we're all in the same boat. If, you, if God wanted to judge us on the wrong decisions that we have made and the sins that we've committed, I'd be the first one to disappear. I'm telling you, I'd be a pile of ash. No laser beams from heaven, Lord, please, this morning. He's gracious. 
He's compassionate. We've sung it. He's slow to anger. And he sees the ache of your heart. Some of you are aching for your, for your husband, for your wife. Oh, God, I'd love them just to be here. I'm telling you now. He hears that. He's with you. He's for you. Me and Mark were talking yesterday on the mountain, on our little bikes. And we were just rejoicing in the fact where it says that Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are tempted. And that's why he can sympathize with our weaknesses. He was without sin. We are with sin. But he sees all of the things and the pressures that we go through. He doesn't stand as a judge and a critic. He comes as a savior. He comes even in our sin, friends. He comes and he pours his grace on all the more. Let me tell you something now. That will offend religious people. Where, grace, where sin abounds, grace does abound all the more. Do you know what that word abound means? It means hyper, hyper grace. Are we hyper grace preachers? Of course. God is hyper about grace. God is extravagant, extravagant about grace. God is completely scandalous when it comes to pouring his favor and his blessing and his kindness and his love on people who don't deserve it. You're looking back on this week. You say, I don't deserve to be able to sing about God's love. I've sinned. We're all in the same boat. Me too. Have I sinned this week? Oh yeah, probably. I reckon a lot. I can't recount them, thank God. (laughs) I'm getting a really bad memory these days. But I tell you what I can guarantee is that for every sin that I have committed, God has been there by his Holy Spirit, serving me, helping me, bringing me on, bringing me through, comforting me, counseling me, leading me into all truth, being the guide, being everything that he is. See, we don't like to talk about this. We like to keep a nice religious veneer. We like to keep a nice religious front. No, 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 no. James, let me give you some scripture. James says, listen, we stumble and fall, all of us. We stumble and fall and sin in many ways. In many ways. I've been stumbling and falling and sinning all week. Sorry, church. But God knows about it. He's been cleaning me. And even when my conscience has condemned me, just like the Bible says, your conscience comes and it starts like a policeman to hammer you. You shouldn't have done this. You should have done that. You know you should have listened to God. Why? Because your conscience is alive to God now. The Bible says it. Your conscience, like a policeman, tries to hammer you down and beat you up. The Bible says, again, woohoo! God's made provision even for an angry conscience, even for a conscience that smashes you and says, you shouldn't have watched that channel. It was naughty for you to watch that channel. Woo! You shouldn't have looked at that book. It was a bad book with a capital B. You shouldn't have done it. You shouldn't have stole that and put it in your pocket, you little tinker. You know stealing's not right as a Christian. We could go through a million and one different sins. Your conscience comes because it's alive to God now. Shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have done that. Naughty boy, naughty boy, naughty girl, naughty, 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 naughty. Guilty! That's what your conscience does. But God's covered it. God's covered it. Da-da! 
enter God. It says, God is greater. There is one who is greater than your conscience. And his blood cleanses us from every sin. Woohoo! Even while you're born again, friends, I'm telling you now. I'm telling you, this has got nothing to do with what I'm saying this morning, but I'm telling you now the Holy Ghost wants us to know it. He really does. There's one message that this church, that this house is rooted in, and it is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one prayer that Paul had for the church, the final salutation that he gave believers and followers in Christ, he says, I pray that the God, what do you say? Hold on. I pray that the love of God, the love of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, forgot it then. I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Imagine that on the end of a letter. Imagine that as a closing line of a message to a church. I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, His favor on all of your faults, His blessing when you're at your lowest, and the love of God that can, you can never be separated from, and the special, wonderful friendship of the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the one that leads you on and leads you through, will be with you now and forever forever. Hallelujah. We are rooted in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and as a result of it, we are free. We are free, and we can rest in this wonderful blessing that He has given to us. Do you know, it really gets complicated when we try to fight God on who's serving who. And maybe part of the reason why I hated my life so much as a 20-year-old kid was because I was trying to do all the work. I was trying to do all of these expected things that you had to do as a Christian. Serve, work, do, turn up, show people what a Christian is. Pray. Nothing wrong with prayer. But you know, prayer can become an idol. Can become an idol. You know, sometimes you can pray and the Lord may not have led you into that place of prayer. And it's just idolatry. It's empty. Jesus said, you know, about the Pharisees, he said, look, he said, they just pray in the open because they want the attention of people. It was idolatrous. They didn't want the connection with God. They wanted the attention of people. Prayer became an idol to those people, and it can become an idol when you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. Do you know in Romans chapter 7, you can read it when you go home, and I'm just throwing stuff out this morning. I'm not giving you chapter and verse. I'm just, it's all in there. I promise. Go and check it. Romans chapter 7. Paul is talking about a time when he was trying to serve God. And this guy had an amazing history, an amazing religious history. 
He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. That means he was the top of the tree. You know, you talk about religious duties and work and achieving all of these things religiously. He was without Mark. He was circumcised on the eighth day as a child. And by saying that, he was saying this, listen, from my earliest days, I was a follower of God. I adhered, or he thought he had adhered to all of the law. He was a brilliant man, an educated man, a man that spoke various languages. I mean, this is a guy that, that was proud and strong and had much to live for. And yet in Romans chapter 7, he goes through this period where he's trying to serve God, where he's trying to impress God. And do you know what happens? He falls down on his knees, like many of us. And he said, the sin that I was trying to not commit, I found myself committing. Naughty boy Paul. The, the things that I wanted to do most, I found that I couldn't do them. I was trying my hardest to break that habit. I was, I was trying my hardest to stop doing what inwardly I know is wrong. And, and I, I, I wanted to stop it and I wanted to change. I did my best to follow what was right. And yet I found that I kept on going back to what I shouldn't do. And he was a right mess because he was trying to serve God on his terms through his strength. And at the end of Romans 7, he falls to his knees. And this is, this is an awful place, but a wonderful place. It's a wonderful place. He falls to his knees. He said, I'm a wretched man. I'm really messed up. Can't do this. I cannot do it. There's, 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 a, there's a power within me that's working against all of the things that I want to do that are good. But that power within me is making me do the things that are wrong. And he falls to his knees. And in the moment that he falls to his knees, he sees Jesus. He says, oh, thank God for Christ Jesus. Right at the end of Romans 7. And then suddenly he goes into Romans 8. He's a new man. Now it's not about Paul. It's not about Paul serving God. It's about the Spirit of God. Read it. Serving Paul. Empowering Paul. He's no longer condemned. He says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He was trying to live a life of service, religious service, outside of Christ. In Romans 7, in Romans 8, he finds a new freedom where the Holy Spirit has locked in with him. There's no more condemnation. Why now? Because he's a son. He's a son. Do you know one of the wonderful things about Jesus in Acts 10, 38? Man, not supposed to be preaching. Supposed to be preaching that, but there. Acts 10, 38. Acts 10, 38. It's, it's wonderful. It says, oh, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him Jesus didn't go out into his world looking for people to serve him Jesus went out into his world looking to serve the world around him he really did and he went out doing good 
You know, when you go out doing good, you can't do anything bad. It's really simple. It really is. Just go out and do good. Be a blessing. Serve others. And Jesus did that. He went about doing good and he healed their sick. Where people were in a place where they had no answer. Where people were in a a dead-end situation of life. Where they couldn't move on. Jesus came in and he served them. And he healed them. And he delivered them. And he set them free. You know, referred last week to that night when Jesus was betrayed in the upper room. I think it's John 13. I think. But they're in that room. And just hours before, they'd all been arguing about who's the greatest. Who's going to sit on his right hand? Who's going to sit on his left hand? Do you know, it's a bit like, do you know when you know somebody's going to die? It's like all of the children start arguing for the will. Well, I want this, and I want that, and I want the house, and well, it's not your house, it's my house, and there's an argument for position and power and things and material. And this is what was happening with these disciples just before Jesus died. They knew, he told them explicitly that he was about to suffer and die. And as a result of it, this this argument arose within their heart. They knew he was moving on. They didn't fully understand it, probably didn't understand it at all. But as a result of him revealing that to them, they start to argue, well, who's going to be number one then? Who's going to be number one? It's like in church, when pastors transition churches. Well, I want to be number one. Well, what about if we're not living in the book of Numbers anymore? We're living in the book of Acts. You see, friends, it's not about one, two, three, and four. It's about being a body of Christ and all serving Him, serving one another. It's not about position. And these disciples, classic, begin to argue with one another. Well, I want to be the greatest. I want to sit on His right hand. I want to sit on His left hand. And Jesus as a faithful friend to them, doesn't try to sort the argument out, doesn't even correct it, just goes in there. And he takes the towel and the bowl as a servant would. They all knew that was there. He takes that bowl and he begins to wash the feet. And this is the thing, right? Peter looked at Jesus and said to Jesus, Lord, you will never Serve me in that way. He was offended by the fact that Jesus wanted to serve him. Peter had this mentality of works. He had this mentality where God could never come down to his level and below his level and serve him. He had this hard heart many times like we have. I can't imagine that God would want to serve me. It hit me, I'm telling you now, where God spoke to me in the kitchen and the Holy Spirit said, Dave, I don't want you to serve me, I'm serving you. The moment that he said that, as I read the Bible, my whole understanding, my whole picture of of the Bible changed. Every prayer, every act of compassion, every, every uh, coming close and intervention of God became a, a, a picture of God serving us, not us serving him. And Peter was offended by the fact that Jesus wanted to serve him. And Jesus said, Peter, listen, 
if you don't allow me to serve you in this manner. And there was a little note of seriousness about it. He said, Peter, if you don't allow me to serve you in this way, you have no part with me. You see, God is very serious about serving you. He served you with salvation. He served you with his Holy Spirit. He served you in everything, everything that he has. And he gives it all. He gives it all to you. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close right now. But you know, another occasion... In the Bible, where Peter just was blown away by the fact that God would help him. And we know it. We know it well. He'd been fishing all night. And the Bible says they caught nothing. He'd worked hard all night, him and his disciples. They came in in the morning tired. Jesus speaks, and then he said, Peter, can I use your boat? Jesus jumps into Peter's boat. And after Jesus had spoken to the multitudes and dismissed them. He says, Peter, put the nets out for a catch. Put the nets over the other side. And Peter objected because he didn't understand that Jesus wanted to serve him. Much like we would do. I'd do it, certainly. I understand why Peter did what he did when he was on that boat. And I understand why Peter did what he did when he was in the upper room and he didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. It's pride. It's not acceptance that Jesus would come to serve and not be served. And he he said, put down the net, son. And Peter said, Lord, we've worked hard all night. Nevertheless, at your word. Nevertheless, at your word. Now, if we will listen to him, if we will accept his word over our doubts and our fears, if we will accept the fact that he's in the boat of your life, that he will serve you, and if you will listen to his instruction and drop those nets, I'm telling you now, you're going to get a catch of fish that's going to break those nets. I'm telling you, and you're going to have to call for others. There's going to be such a blessing, such a tangible blessing of life and abundance. Whatever you need, he's come to serve you. Peter said, he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. You don't have to cook life and godliness up through your disciplines or your religious regimes. He's given it to you. That's God serving you. That's God equipping you internally, in your mind, in your heart, with everything that pertains to life and godliness. They pull the nets up. The boat starts sinking. And Peter falls. Oh man, have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? See him, man. You just see him. You see him in a little circumstance, in a little comment from somebody. You see him. And you just fall at his feet and you say, leave me. I'm too sinful to be near you. You're doing stuff that's far beyond what I can accept as normal. You're doing stuff that is just blasting my mind. You're being too kind to me because I don't deserve it. I know exactly who I am. 
I know what's in me and I think that you don't know what's in me. And as a result of all of this kindness and all of this goodness flowing into my life, into my little boat, I can't accept it. And he said, Peter, you're going to see far more than this, son. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to cause you to bring others into this glory, into this grace. And you're going to go all over the world by the time I finish with you, son. And you're going to bring blessing wherever you go. Woo! You're going to raise dead people, Peter. You're going to set free cripples that are gate beautiful. You're going to see blind eyes open just like I did. Me, Lord. Yes, you, son. And on the revelation that I am the Christ, I'm going to build my church. I'm telling you, God can do anything with you. God can do anything with you because your life is not down to you making it happen. It's all down to God making it happen. Let's start. Let's stand to our feet. Let's start to trust Him. Who knows what He's going to do with you? It may be that He's going to send some in this place to the ends of the earth. My God, who knows? Who knows? Or you could go to the end of your street and win a family to Christ. Wonderful. But I'm telling you now, oh man, I don't want to say too much, but I'm telling you, my God, he's going to do some incredible things. He really is. Let's lift our hands. Father, we're going to sing. Calvary covers it all. Father, we just want to say again today, oh God, that you would be willing to take us. We're amazed by that. And we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. You are wonderful. Let's lift our hands. We're going to sing.